you mentioned earlier in ARP, we've called a hundred bucks. I mean, have you guys broken that hundred thousand dollar a month target at this point, or if not, when? Yeah, we're we're like almost there. That's great. So this year, you think you'll pass it? In you know, if we didn't have a pandemic, I'd say yes. But <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Albert Santolo. He's a computer scientist and internet entrepreneur experienced in building high-growth venture-backed technology companies. He's the founder and CEO of 8Base and formerly founded CareCloud and Avicenna. Albert, you ready to take us to the top? Hey, how are you, Nathan? I'm well, man. So what are you working on now? What is 8Base? 8Base is a platform that accelerates the development of what we would call professional-grade software. It's that's either used typically by by founders, especially non-technical founders, or by larger companies in their digital transformation efforts. Now, is the this idea, a no-code, low-code sort of play, or are you an agency that's building stuff for folks? It's it's sort of a combination of the two. So it's it's a low-code approach, and I want to focus on low-code, meaning that it it is a product used by developers. Um, the idea is though that you can build comprehensive products. It's not something you have to throw away. And the focus is on the back end. So the low-code platform primarily is on the back end side, all delivered through a very powerful API. And then most of the time, our customers are building front ends that consume the back end. But we also, as a services company, we also do that work for customers as well. So sometimes, sometimes we do full stack development on top of our low-code platform for customers. For people that j- hear this interview and say, I just want to use the platform uh, and not pay for services, how can they use the platform? What's the what's the model? Yeah, so they can go to 8base.com. They can sign in, begin using it. They never have to talk to us. They can start using it for free, but they can also, you know, the, the paid use starts at $25 a month and it scales up from there. They get a fair amount of capacity with that 25 bucks a month. Measured um, by what? by storage, API calls, serverless invocations. So think of it as utilization of the different aspects of the platform. Um, And then number of developers. So the $25 plan is for a solo developer, and then it scales up for there. there. Of those three sort of ways that you can upsell customers and drive expansion revenue, which one's most powerful? People have the developer limit the fastest, the API call limit the fastest, or the storage limit the fastest? 
um, which you're saying, which one do they hit the fastest? In other words, your ability to drive enterprise accounts and move from 25 bucks a month to 50 to 100 to up, you, you've put these things in place to make people upgrade storage limits, API calls, et cetera. Which one of those is the most powerful for driving upsell revenue? It, it, it's usually things like continuous integration. Like you, you at the $25 plan, you're not using CI, CD capabilities. Uh, again, it's solo developer. So once you're in a team configuration, uh, it, it goes up from there. Got it. So unlock continuous integration tools uh, when people pay you more. Yeah, but more, things that larger organizations or we call it more established organizations are going to want. I see. I see. Okay. And again, it's still ignoring services revenue. We'll get to that in a second. If you just look at folks that are using either your free tool or not free, sorry, they're paying you for your, your to use your platform, but not talk to you on average. What are these customers paying per month? Would you say is it the 25 bucks a month? Yeah, I would say on average, it's higher than that. Um, because we have on some of those developer plans, we have $200 a month type uh, users we also have larger, like we have agencies that use the product. Some of those are paying in the thousands. One of those is IBM Global Services actually uses Apebase for work they're doing in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're they're all over the place, right? As I know averages are unfair for this reason, but because it's a short interview, I try and hyper-focus it. What if I forced you sort of into an average? Is a thousand bucks a month better than 25 a month or where's your sweet spot? No, I'd say in the developer channel, uh, it's probably you know, the developer and it's sort of self-service channels by a hundred bucks a month. Got it. So it's usually like a two person development team sort of thing, you know, a little bit more API usage, but not like an IBM of the world. Yeah. I yeah. see. Okay. What's your backstory here? When did you launch the company? 2017. Um, I've been a founder in the lead role since 2001. Uh, I'm an engineer by background, but in all of my companies, I I've been the product designer, but not the developer. And, you know, I just, you know, my last company raised over a hundred million dollars of venture money. And I'm Which like, company was that? CareCloud. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a, I just felt like we could build these products faster, better, cheaper. There was a, a platform opportunity. And I just felt like, you know, founders should be given the opportunity to, to bootstrap more, own more of their companies and retain control. And that's never going to happen if you have to raise a hundred million dollars. I was going to say, I'm looking at the funding rounds right now on CareCloud, $186 million raised, uh, 10 investors. I'm looking at the people going, my gosh, the dilution must be not so pretty over time. But you argue it's a much bigger pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but but but, you know, that kind of money brings a lot of risk. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's not for everybody, not for every founder, for sure. So what was the break? This company looks like it's still going today. So you made the decision at some point to say enough is enough. I'm going to leave and build this. What was the breaking point for you? Yeah. So, so both of my prior companies are still around. They've both been acquired. So for me, it was in 2016, leaving the day to day and uh, wanting to pursue this. A base was something that was on my mind for at least 15 years. And so I felt like the time was right. The, the cloud-based platforms have, had come of age. The market was started, starting to recognize that low code was actually a thing. Yep. And I felt like the technology stacks had stabilized to the point where we could do this and that I could bootstrap it. So I also just, you know, for Apebase, I just didn't want to raise a huge amount of venture money. So you're bootstrapped today? Yeah, we're, we're, 
you could call it relative bootstrapping. We we've raised three and a half million dollars. It's all been from angels and seed funds. Well, come on, Albert. You can't. You can't this is very binary. You either raised a dollar of funding or yeah. you haven't. It's not like a middle. So you are. You have raised, but you feel like you're not on the track of like, oh my gosh, we raised 186 million bucks. We better double year over year, or we're going to go to zero. Yeah. No. I mean, compared to to how much money I've raised before and how that's gone, this is very different. Mm-hmm. Very. Besides the fact that the company's profitable, so we don't we don't need money. That's great. What's the team size today? It's about thirty people. And can you sort of give me the breakdown there? How many are engineers? Uh, engineers is probably twenty to twenty-two. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And what the rest? Any quota carrying sales reps? Yes, uh, oh. we have one quota carrying sales rep, um, and we have we have myself and another person not quota carrying sales reps. That surprises me. So, so you, there is a sales motion here at a high enough ACV where it does make sense to put a sales rep sort of touch on it. Oh, 100%. It, especially, and this is recent. I would tell you there's two, there's two things. The services side certainly has a high enough ACV to have salespeople. Okay. But the other thing is that some of these platform opportunities in these larger companies, these are multi hundred thousand dollar deals, right? They can be seven-figure deals, so that's not going to happen with marketing efforts on the website, right? You, you mean you have- can't just swipe a credit card on a website and close a million bucks? Man, I wish we could. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, and I want a piece. I get two percent. All right, there, that yeah. makes sense. So, just to understand too, the nature of like SaaS versus your service business, it sounds like they're both material potentially. If you just add up all your revenue over the past 12 months, how much would you say is service sort of revenue versus low touch software revenue? Yeah. So th- th- those percentages are changing, but call it 20% the platform, 80% uh, services. But the mm-hmm. idea is that the, the service revenue feeds the beast in lieu of venture capital while we build up the recurring platform revenue. You know, the margins on the service side are pretty good. But obviously not as good as recurring revenue, platform revenue, right? So, but, you know, if I'm having a conversation with a VC about this, you know, it's like, look, we get it. The service side, not as scalable, but we are innovating in our services group so that we can do things in a more scalable way. There are technologies that we're using there and that are evolving to make things go really fast, really consistent and be able to handle a lot of projects at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you answered my question before I asked it, right, which is VCs will hit software founders all the time for any services revenue because they want the founder to be reliant on VC money and dilution for extra cash, not closing services deals that's le- that, are, that are, have less margin. But ultimately, what you and I know is that sometimes when you put high touch in the form of a service contract on a smaller SaaS plan, the net retention on that SaaS plan goes through the roof because you did so much great work onboarding and customizing for the client. Oh my God. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. We have, we have a really fun business. You know, one of the things I really love doing, you know, my passion is building these products and it allows me to get involved and sort of lead the design of them. And then, and then my team just does, does an amazing job building them and, and all of our customers are really happy. That's great. So, but you know, a VC would tell you, man, the services side, you know, it's a lot of work. And I would tell them, Managing you is a lot of work. <laughs> Fair enough. I love that. And you can say that because you, you've walked, you've sort of walked that walk already. Yeah, All right. Yeah. I say so, that jokingly. I have lots of friends who are VCs. We even have some 
call it seed fund, fund venture capital investors. Yep. But I think you know what I'm trying to say, right? Which I get is, it. There are series A and there and after entanglements, which I would much rather avoid if I can. No, I hear you. Okay, so 2017, you get going on this thing. How many customers are you serving today on sort of the software side? On the on the software on the platform side? Yeah. Man, it's like uh, somewhere approaching a thousand or so. Okay. And can someone are they dependent on each other? Can someone can someone pay you just for services and not platform? Or I know they can do just platform. That, that is a great question. So we only get involved when we're using our platform. Okay, yes. So if they pay you, if IBM pays you a million bucks for a service contract, they have to sign a subscription plan as well on the back end of that. They do. Um, and in IBM's case, by the way, there is no service revenue. It's only platform. I see. So they, they have their own team of developers that have built on APACE without our help on the services side. I see. But an example would be, you know, like, for instance, we have some founders in Austin that we've built their products. Right. And so they run on the APACE platform and we did the development work uh, to build on top of it. They paid us a service fee. But then they pay us monthly recurring revenue for the platform. It's not easy to get to, I mean, to a thousand customers, especially when it's a DevOps sort of sale, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. walk me through how you got your first 10 customers back in 2017. So in 20, we, and we've, we've done a little bit of, uh, call it experimentation. So when we first launched the platform, we launched it for free and we launched it for developers. So we tried to go sort of bottoms up developers and then along the way said, you know, look, this is great, but it's not really a business, you know, even after we launched the paywall. Um, so Which was we, when? The paywall was last summer, uh, late, you know, probably about a, a little over a year ago or about a year ago. And um, we just we just realized, look, developers is, is we want developers to love the platform. We want them to support it. We want them to bless it. But B2B is really where the money is. And I'm not, I'm not the type of, of CEO founder that founds an open source company. Uh, you know, for me, nothing wrong with it. It's just not me. Right. And so for me, I got to have a commercial business. And, uh, when we're talking to developers, it's one sort of conversation when we're talking to business owners, especially, like I said, non-technical founders, they just absolutely love what we bring. Because we bring a platform built for them that can hyperscale if they're successful. They never have to rebuild the product. They're talking to people that have built digital products used by millions of people, funded by you know hundreds of millions of dollars of Silicon Valley money. Uh, and we come in, we step in. We probably, we typically are more well qualified than a CTO that they could get at their stage. And we take them to the next level, at which point they can take back the software development or keep us engaged. Well, so when you launched the paywall in 2019, did you have to go out and recruit non-technical people inside of SaaS founders with budget for this? Or did you try and convert some of your free developer base into paid customers first? Yeah, yeah. It was more the paywall was directed at developers. Okay, okay so and did so they convert or did they not convert? It sounds like they, they didn't. Did. Yeah, they, they, they did. Some did. But it's not, you know, look, at 25 bucks a month, right? Um, and again, it's freemium. It's not a free trial at 25 bucks a month. You're just not going to get there without 10 tens of million dollars of venture money. That's right. Yeah. We're so at, how many, how many freemium did you have before you launched paywall? That I don't remember that. Um, okay. Like thousands or hundreds of thousands. No, no, no. It would be, it would be between a thousand, 2000 probably. 
Okay, got it. So one to two K using for free, which also, I mean, by the way, that is not easy even to build up that sort of sort of wait list or freemium usage base. So you launched the paywall for 25 bucks in 2019. You realize you have to do this in massive volumes to get any sort of scale. And then, so when did you start thinking about the higher price stuff? We, we were already there. So when we launched the product, even in 2018, our first B2B client showed up saying, hey, we really love what you have and we love your capabilities, but we want you to build the product. And, and so we, we decided at that point, let's take the deal. And we, uh, we, we did the work. We got paid well for it. And the outcome was phenomenal. We had good margins. The client was really happy. The platform- uh, what's well? Are we talking like a $50,000 sort of type deal or more? And in, in that deal was a 200K deal. Okay, got it. I mean, that, there seems to be margin, nice margin there. Yeah, it, it complex product. So this is a multi-tenant SaaS, okay. plants management product, a very complex product. But yes, um, there was there was decent margins there, and our margins got better as we sold more of those deals. You know, so sometimes we do do you know we do smaller deals than that for sure. But you know, we also do larger ones. So and that company that you did the two hundred thousand dollars sort of setup for the initial all that initial work. What did they? What are they now pay? in sort of the low touch platform uh, model, you know, every month. A customer like that is probably at about $500 a month. I see. Okay, good. Interesting. Oh, oh yeah. But they, what they get, the way to think about it is they, they can operate with no technical people. It's DevOps free. Um, and it scales automatically for them if the need comes. And Albert, I mean, I'm hoping you're going to blow me out of the freaking water here. They don't churn. Cause if they churn, they essentially lose 200 grand worth of investment they made initially. Right. No, they look, they, first of all, we haven't had churn, but, Mm -hmm. but they can churn. And, and, and I'm proud of the fact that they can, because one of the things you'll see, you'll see is that we built everything in a base is built with standards. So it's not like they can just export and go to the next thing, but, but their code is written in JavaScript or TypeScript. They're using react or Vue.js or whatever framework on the front end. Their data is in MySQL. One of the big innovations inside of Apebase is the GraphQL API. GraphQL is a standard. Most, you know, the GraphQL APIs that exist out there, the engines that exist are not as powerful as ours, but nonetheless, with a little bit of retrofitting, it could work. And then there's other things that are inherent in the platform, like role-based security and things like that. But the idea is that we're not, you know, we're not like Salesforce, right? Where we're like trying to lock somebody in with proprietary languages and all sorts of exotic things. We're basically saying, look, if you want to leave, you can leave. But the idea is, why would you ever want to? Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and, and the, other, the other part of that is you don't need specialized developers. Like, like, I'll give you an example. If you build on Bubble, right? Bubble's a great platform. But if you ever need to get off of it because it's not scaling or whatever, you're going to have to rebuild the whole thing. You compete with like, Bubble? In, indirectly. You know, indirectly. They, they, they do more of the front-end development. But, you know, and, and certainly some people will build their products on bubble. But what we find is that, you know, there comes a point where the, it just doesn't scale for them. So mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Like they, they've got the IP related to what they built and what it looks like, but it needs to be built from scratch again somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's bubble.io. Interesting. Okay. So a thousand customers on sort of your, your platform approach, you mentioned earlier in ARP, we've called a hundred bucks. I mean, have you guys broken that hundred thousand dollar a month target at this point, or if not, when? On the recur on the recurring side, just platform. I know you do a lot more on services. Yeah, we're we're like almost there. That's great. So this year, you think you'll pass it? 
in, you know, if we didn't have a pandemic, I'd say yes, but <laughs> God will. Okay. All right. Fair, we're, fair. We're just really getting the flywheel going on sales, you know, so, so I'm really excited about that piece of it. Uh, you know, all of my companies have had very high velocity sales force before. And we truthfully started this company with more of a, call it a marketing cadence. But I'm really excited about just turning the flywheel on the sales side. It's, it's well, uh, Yeah. I mean, help me understand the flag. Again, we're only talking platform here. So all listeners or listeners understand there is an agency kind of service model here that makes yeah. a lot of money in cash flow, but just on the platform play, right? So if you're caught around 60, 70, 80, right? A month today, where were you exactly a year ago on that? Oh my God. We were uh, a year ago, man, we were like nowhere on that. Like, like very, you know, like how much? Almost at zero. Like not even three or four grand a month? Maybe something like that. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So, I mean, nice scale there, right? I mean, what it, what's changed from a year ago for you to add 50, 60 grand a new MRR on the platform side? I would say founder-led sales, um, tweaks to the paywall, and uh, and driving, you know, that developer channel a little harder. But um a lot of it, you know, a lot of it has been sort of founder-led sales. So now and you're profitable today, product. right? Yeah. Got yeah. It. Have you already invested the 3.5 million or is that sort of sitting in the bank? Some has been in, some has been used, some is sitting in the bank. How do you, the reason I'm asking is obviously everyone changes plans with COVID. You want to sort of save more and have a longer runway. How are you thinking about that relative to your cash position? I love that question. So the way I'm, the way I'm, I'm looking at that is you got to lean in harder on sales. So I, I'm actually increasing investment on sales and marketing. Meaning you're hiring people or launching Facebook ads or what? It, it's a little bit of hiring people. It's doing different types of marketing campaigns, different types of marketing spend. But absolutely, we're, we're leaning into it in terms of we're not, we're not becoming more austere. Mm-hmm. We're being conservative about, about uh, spending that is not core to either product innovation or sales. Makes sense. Okay. Last question here. I just realized we're out of time before we, before we wrap up, what is gross churn right now on a monthly basis on a, on a revenue monthly basis? Oh my God. It's almost non-existent. Okay. Um, so you, you truly have, I mean, I, I want to make sure we're not like, you know, just, you know, spouting You really have 0% revenue churn per month across a thousand customers paying about a hundred a month. Yeah, no, no. So, so there is some churn on the developer side. Usually it happens early and usually it happens in the free tier, right? So it's like, if you look well, at no, no, ignore free. I'm talking yeah. revenue churn, revenue churn. We, we had like, for instance, the first time we ever had somebody dispute a credit card transaction. I heard about it for the first time two days ago on my daily standup call. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and I don't know why the guy disputed it because we would have just given him his money back. Right. But, but I'm not talking about just credit card disputes. I mean, some people yeah. will try your platform. They'll pay a hundred bucks for a month and then they'll leave because it wasn't fit for them. Like, that's what I'm asking. Right. Is like, what is revenue churn like on a monthly basis? It sounds like it's pretty low. It's less than 1%. Oh, fair enough. Okay, less. Okay, got it. So less than 12% annually on that, which actually, it's pretty impressive for that price point. You think so, okay? It, no, uh, no, not I think so. I mean, I can compare it to 2,000 other SaaS CEOs I've interviewed. At that price point, that churn is extremely low. Usually in that cohort, you're seeing churn that's 20, 30% annually, three, yeah. two, 3% a month. I, it, it, part of it could be that by the time they're paying they've truly sort of kicked the tires in the product because the free tier is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the free tier, what the main, the main thing it doesn't do is it throttles the API. Yep. So, so um, you can use the full product. It's just when you want to open up the API. 
What's the so, limit? How many API calls a month on the free tier? I, I think it's just, I think it's how many, if I remember correctly, it's how many API calls sequentially you can do. I think it throttles every 10. Got it. Yeah, your free tier, I'm reading off your your pricing page here, 1,000 per month graph uh, QL API calls, 1,000 database rows, or 1,000 per month sort of. You have actually a lot of utility-based upsells, 500 MB in base storage, 10 gigabyte minutes for serverless execution requests, like all these things drive people to upgrade. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Developers. You, you look at what they get at 25, at 25, it's super generous. It's like 10, it's, it's, well, yeah, it's massive. I could easily see why people go up for that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, so there's, there's like, if you're a small team of developers, you can do a hell of a lot with that, with that $25 tier. You can. Yep. No, I understand that. Very cool. All right. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, Albert, what's your favorite business book? Oh my God. That's a moving target. Um, right now it's blitz scaling. <laughs> Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? CEO I'm following. So there's a bunch of those. Um, yeah, I would say, look, Elon Musk is certainly something I'm somebody I, I really respect a lot, but I'm not trying to follow his playbook right now. <laughs> Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your company besides your own? Um, that may that may also be a moving target. Um, right now we're messing around with Apollo. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? Seven to eight. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single, kids? Married and kids. How many? Four. Wives? No, just kidding. All right. Four, <laughs> four, 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 four kids. And how old are you, Albert? How old am I? I'm 52. 52. Last question. What do you wish you knew when you were 20? What do I wish I was doing when I was 20? No, something you wish you knew when you were 20. Oh, my God. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, fortune favors the bold. That you have to, you, you just got to put yourself in the game, go after it, and uh, and good things will happen. Guys, there you have it. Eight base, professional, helping power professional grade applications in a low code sort of format. 20% of their revenue is pure SaaS right now, 80% services, but it's highly productized service. The pure platform play is growing and hopefully will break a million dollar run rate here, uh, middle of this year, late this year. But again, they power a lot of their growth from their high margin services, revenue, consulting contracts in the $200,000 sort of range. They funded the company 3.5 million raised, but they are profitable today. Team of a call at 30 people, 22 engineers. Albert scales this bad boy down there in Miami. Albert, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks so much, Nathan.